Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Did you not have a self-preservation instinct, which is, I am destroying my career here? Again, I just thought, who would disagree with this? The Father Ted musical has been cancelled because of because of them. This would have sold out yeah. immediately. Whoever puts this out is basically printing money. The other day, the other day I had to hide my car in case it's repossessed. That's how, how bad I, my money situation is at the moment. Again, what have I said that is so terrible to deserve that kind of treatment? As someone puts it, the patriarchy in stilettos. Graham Linhan. Hello. What a journey it's been for you. I mean, you're back on the show, of course, but first time in the flesh. It's been years of what must feel like an arduous battle for you, expressing your concerns about trans ideology, uh, losing a hell of a lot of opportunities, some would say your career to a large mm. extent. And here you are probably feeling, certainly in terms of what you were saying, quite vindicated. Yeah, well, you, you'd kind of have to tell me. I, don't, I always think every, every shocking news story I hear about, you know, rapists in women's prisons or, or men in women's sports, I always used to think, oh, this is the one. Mm -hmm. This is the one that will show people that it's, that it's, uh, it's like, when, when Martina Navratilova broke cover and started um, uh, talking about fairness in sports, I thought, oh, it's over, it's over. Mm -hmm. she's, she's like a lesbian icon. So, um, and, and of course, they just monstered her exactly the same way that they monstered Everybody who who goes into this uh, uh, debate. So, yeah, I, you'd really have to tell me whether it's turning around or not. But if it is, I'm very happy to hear it. You know, do you, do you, you don't think it's turning around? I'm not sure. I, because I'm in such a weird position, I'm right at the center of it. I didn't mean to be. Mm. But the more I insisted, hey, this is something that we should all be talking about. It's it's not. Um, uh, it, it's the things they're telling us are taboos are not really taboos. Um, the more I said that, the more I kind of increased my notoriety. Uh, as I say in the book, like Pink News have written 75 hit pieces about me. And so there was a kind of a, there's been a swirl of um, misinformation around me. Also, that extends to my Wikipedia page, which we can't change, you know, everything is, is written so that it's uh, the w worst, most negative uh, uh, view of me. And um, yeah, I've just been in this strange position, very isolated. Uh, I wrote the book. Um, What's sorry. it called? Tell everybody. Sorry, I've written the book. Yeah, the book <laughs> You've is, written the book, right? Yes, I've written a book. The book is called Tough Crowd, and it's a memoir. The, la the, the, the trans stuff is only the last, you know, third of the book, but... Like, I've been basically writing that book while completely isolated, having lost all my contacts, really, from my previous life, uh, during COVID as well. So it was like uh, two years of, um, of being cancelled during COVID is a very strange experience, even more isolating. And, um, yeah, all, all I've been doing is I've been saying exactly the same thing that I've been saying for the last five years. Um, but 
I had to write a book before people started actually listening to the content of what I was saying. One of the things I found genuinely really striking and unpleasant about what the, the way that people were treating you is there were some people who I would have thought owed some loyalty. And this is what happened with J.K. Rowling as well, where the actors who got massive breaks from acting in Harry Potter then essentially stabbed her in the back or certainly turned their backs on her. Likewise with you, there are people who got big breaks uh, with roles in things that you'd written. Mm -hmm. uh, people like Graham Norton, for example, coming out and saying there's no such thing as cancel culture, having watched you be canceled for like several years in a row. Uh, there's only accountability culture. I mean, that's got to be gutting. Yeah, and it keeps happening. And not only that, but you people go out of their way to attack me. Bill Bailey mm -hmm. said it was who I cast in, in uh, Black Books, uh, said that my activism was baffling, you know, as if it was like just a kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, a thing I was doing for recreation. Um, you know, the, the issues here are extremely high uh, stakes, you know, the health of children, the safeguarding of women, fairness in women's sports. These are all extreme. So the idea that it's baffling. And then Graham Norton, as you say, says there's no such thing as cancel culture. He must know that I've had my life destroyed by trans rights activists. He must know that um, the Father Ted musical has been cancelled because of because of them. And yet he, 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 you know, he, he makes this uh, statement about accountability. But again, what am I being held account accountable for? You know, everyone agrees with me. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just that for some weird reason, um, this ideology has kind of taken over in certain areas. Uh, uh, publishing, uh, the theatre, uh, journalism, um, for some reason it's these middle class, pers pursuits is the wrong word, but it's these middle class uh, uh, industries that have been, you know, um, captured. Mm -hmm. And uh, everyone outside of these industries, no, no one believes it. No, everyone believes that women should have fair sports, that men shouldn't be... Um, able to go into women's toilets or changing areas or rape crisis centers, whatever it happens to be, simply because they identify as a woman. No one believes this outside of these industries. Um, and also, you cannot speak to anyone about it. If you talk to people about it, they do the equivalent of putting their hands over their ears. And I think it's because, I think it's because, because it's a middle class phenomenon, uh, you know, everybody in the middle class knows somebody whose child identifies as non-binary or, uh, or, or, you know, sim or has a, some sort of similar identification thing going on. And these kids are kind of um, feeding their parents a line of nonsense, you know, that the parents, you know, who love their kids uh, are just swallowing whole. So, Graham, when I was growing up, I used to watch Father Ted, loved it. One of my all-time favorite sitcoms, brilliant. So many of, you, of your shows I watched and I loved. How did you get involved in going from that to this? Well, I kind of always had my ear to the ground in terms of things that were coming down the pipe. Mm -hmm. um, when, I was, uh, when I was just starting out in comedy, I went to see a comedy masterclass by Danny Simon 
who was Neil Simon's brother. Mm. And uh, I remember at the time, so, someone said a funny thing. They said, because um, he was listed on the ad as being one of the greatest comedy writers in the in the world. And a friend said, he's not even the greatest in his own family. <laughs> but this was kind of unfair because he actually did know his onions. He worked on the Mary Tyler Moore show. He worked on... Um, uh, Bilko, which is one of my favorites, um, much better known over here than it is in the US, even though it's American sitcom. So I wanted to hear what he had to say. And one of the things he said was anyone who's writing sitcoms should be uh, aware of changing social trends because a very good place to set a sitcom is at the edge of something like that, mm. something, something new coming along. And his example was the Mary Tyler Moore show because there were a greater number of women entering the workplace suddenly because of the pill. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they wrote this show about a woman, career woman who comes and works on a, uh, a, a news program, you know, except he used the word women's libbers, which <laughs> was really funny. Mm -hmm. But uh, but I always felt that that was really good advice. Mm -hmm. So I always kept my antennae up for things that were changing. And it also kind of naturally aligned with my uh, I, I'm I'm just a very curious person. I like I like new music. I like new books. I I don't read the classics as much as I read stuff that's mm. supposed to be very good now. Um, and yeah, there were a couple of things. Like the only reason I'm 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 a poker player is because I was just an early adopter of the kind of um, the poker boom that mm. happened when uh, Chris Moneymaker won the World Series um, because he he entered into a competition for 10 quid or something, or free, it was a free ticket, span it up into a series of tournament entries, kept winning, and then won the World Series. So it just completely uh, created a poker boom. And I remember getting into poker thinking, oh, it's very special, very special, really, no one else is doing this. Everyone else was doing it. It was just because I was kind of always on the lookout for new things I could get involved with. Um, and... In the same way, I kind of uh, realized that the there was a big thing happening with the internet, uh, which was that some people knew exactly what it was and exactly what was going on, and other people hadn't a clue. Like, they didn't know the words for things. They didn't know that, you know, I don't know, I'm trying to think, what's a good example? Uh, well, you know, you like, oh God, this is one from the book, but, but like... Um, you could say to someone, oh, what browser are you using? Mm -hmm. And someone won't have a clue what you're talking about. Yeah. So I realized that was a good, uh, someone who knows a lot about computers, someone who doesn't know a lot about computers is a good conversation that will uh, mark that new social change, you know? So the IT crowd kind of got born out of that. So then I was still paying attention. I was still trying to see what was coming down the pipe and, uh, it was actually an episode of the IT crowd I wrote uh, that had a trans character in it. And I noticed that the, the pushback was extraordinarily vicious. Uh, much more so than any other joke I'd written that had got, yeah. got a kind of any kind of pushback. In fact, I'd never really got any pushback for a joke before. This was the first time, which marked it out as, oh, this is interesting. And bear in mind, you were joking about Catholic priests in Ireland in the 90s. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then again, it would, I, I don't want to give myself too much credit there. It was kind of safe. Yeah. Catholic priests don't try and destroy your career. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> but like, um, but... Uh, I noticed that happening, first of all, and then uh, Gamergate came along. Mm -hmm. And on Gamergate, I was sure I had completely 
um, uh, I completely absorbed what the issue was, what was going on. And I dismissed it as to everyone who would listen to me, and I had a lot of followers, as a misogynistic hate campaign, which on some levels it was. There were people kind of um, tagging along with it for that reason. But there were also a lot of guys who thought that they were fighting uh, 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 corruption in gaming journalism, mm-hmm. you know. And I just kind of became a node, one more node of people who were saying, it's just a misogynistic hate campaign. That's all it is. Like a thought-terminating cliche, just to shut it down, rather than looking at all the complexities, see what was going on, see if there were any valid uh, arguments from the other side. None of that. No strong manning a case. Just, I just had my weapon, which was, it's just a misogynistic hate campaign. So anyway, Gamergate passed. And then I started noticing that suddenly the... During Gamergate, one of the, one of the most um, famous things that happened was a thing called Operation Lollipop, where all these trolls set up fake accounts of black women and uh, pretended that they found uh, Father's Day offensive, right? <laughs> and I, they set up a hashtag called something like End Father's Day, yeah. right? It was d- designed just to create as much havoc as they possibly could. I remember at the time... You know, the people who I was uh, allying myself with on the left, very much on the left. I was always a very good little lefty. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but these people were, you know, very critical of this um, of this uh, this piece of trolling. Men dressing as uh, men pretending to be women online to create havoc was considered by the left a bad thing when the right did it. And then the left started doing it. The same, I just saw the same types of anime uh, avatars popping up mm-hmm. that were on the other side during, during Gamergate. And I realized that, you know, basically there's always a huge contingent of men on the internet who really don't like women. Mm-hmm. They despise women. And they will do anything they can to undermine them and troll them and get their own back for all sorts of real and imagined slights in their, in their past, you know? And they just switched horses. Yeah. I'm not saying they're exactly the same people, but it was definitely a crossover, you know? And they just started abusing women online, targeting their work, doing all the Gamergate tactics, you know, which included swatting. You know what swatting no, is? No, what's swatting? Yeah. Swatting is when, uh, do you, well, do you want to, well, I, I'm just swatting. It's very simple. So, in, in a, for example, if um, people are watching somebody who plays computer games on Twitch, mm. they will find out what their address is, and then they will report a very serious crime as allegedly happening at that location. Okay, got you. So that, they, so that they can watch on camera as a SWAT team descends on this person that they're watching. Okay. Like, like the camera is just an added bonus in that, in that particular uh, case. It was done to a lot of women during Gamergate, apparently. Mm. You know? And apparently one of the things the SWAT teams do when they go into a situation is they immediately kill the pet. They kill the family pet. So even if, the, even if it doesn't result in the death of their targets, they've still caused a lot of distress and, yeah. and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, again, this was a tactic. Terrible, worst thing in the world uh, when it happens on the, um, on the right. But when it happened, when the left were doing it, as happened to Tim, uh, what's his name? Paul. Tim Paul. Tim Paul lately. There's not, a, there's not a, no. a word about it, you know? So I saw these kind of internet war tactics being used against the latest target, which was left-wing women, 
who were being called TERFs, who were uh, being subjected to work tribunals. Um, uh, they, they were being reported to the police. Uh, all sorts of things were going on. And I just thought, I th had what I thought was a natural thought, which was, this is not right. Mm -hmm. This is a bad thing. We should all be trying to stop this. But again, because these new, these, this new target were, were left-wing women, well, actually, no, I'm kind of confusing the issue because what's very interesting about this, sorry, excuse me, let me rewind a little bit. This new target, the, the, the women who are being, the women in Gamergate who are being targeted were gamers, right? Mm -hmm. And gaming journalists and, and, and whatever. Yeah. Um, the women who were being targeted this time were left-wing uh, left women who were, ba who were really the backbone of a lot of left-wing activism in the, in the UK. You know, like uh, two of the people who were targeted were Helen Steele, who is the woman who single-handedly sued McDonald's, you know? Whatever you think of the the action, it was an incredible feat for her to do it, and she was hugely respected uh, among the left for it. And Linda Bellos, who came up with I think Black History Month in the in in the UK, you know, these are two significant figures in left wing activism. They're being called bigots. Linda Bellos is black, and they're being called bigots. And it's like, again, well, this isn't right. Why is this? Why is this happening? I, I should I should say something, <laughs> you know, but again, all these tactics—men pretending to be women online, targeting jobs, targeting livelihoods—when Gamergate was doing it, when 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 the right were doing it, it was the worst thing in the world, and it was a sign that Trump and everything is going to be create a hell on earth for uh, LGBT people and all the rest of it, and feminists and women's. And women's, women's, <laughs> women's, women's. Yeah. Um, but then when the left started doing it, exact same tactics, men pretending to be women online, targeting livelihoods, targeting, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that happened to me when I came out was people would literally just kind of contact all my friends and say, can I just ask why you're still following Graham Linehan? You know? And it was just like a kind of a, Everything was done except talk about the issue. The issue itself, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't bring it. You couldn't talk talk about it because, uh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, I, I was going to say. And when was the moment you came out? When was the moment you stepped forward and went, "Enough's enough. I'm going to make my just voice to be clear, he's not gay. He just <laughs> said what he thinks. Yeah, of course, because you can't be gay because gay means there's a binary, so yeah, we can't yeah. have it. <laughs> well, apparently, a lot of I heard one guy tweeting recently that gay men are more frightened of saying they're GC mm -hmm. uh, than they are of coming out than they were of coming out. Yeah. But well, again, sorry, sorry to bring up another bit in the book, but I guess it is kind of you know central. But I was on morphine. I, I just ha I've had an operation uh, to get a testicle removed, uh, like Hitler, um, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, I was on morphine, and there was a wound on my side that was covered by a bandage. Yeah, uh, and I thought, oh, this doesn't feel too bad at all. And I hopped, hopped to my feet, chucked on my jeans, and just got ready to go. And the nurse came in and was like, "What the fuck? What are you doing?" <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, sorry. I thought it was just a you know quick. It was supposed to be a day release thing. You're supposed to have the operation and walk out later." So anyway, I got back onto the trolley. Uh, the morphine started, you know, was still kicking in. I didn't realize it had. Oh, that's why I wasn't feeling any pain. Um, 
and I just had my phone. I disastrously had my phone. <laughs> and I'd been, I'd been studying it for a few weeks, or months even. I'd been going, what is this? Am I getting anything wrong? Is there something I'm missing? And, it was, and, and I just couldn't, I couldn't locate it. You know, they, people would say things like, oh, trans people have always been around. We're just, they're just braver now. That's the, that's the reason we're now noticing them. It's like, what? So, and it, it was, but, but it's like, the reason I know that's bollocks is because Shakespeare didn't notice them. Mm-hmm. And he noticed everything else about humanity. So how did he miss an entire cohort of people who have always existed, you know? And, but you got involved in this essentially when you're on morphine. Yeah. Right. And that's when you and that's when you started tweeting. That's when you started to get involved. That's when you made your voice public. But when you when you obviously got off morphine, which I assume you are, Graham. It was about a year later. Yeah. <laughs> um, really but when did you not have a self-preservation instinct, which is I am destroying my career here. This is a career that I've worked really hard on. This is a career that is incredibly stellar. I'm universally respected in my industry, which can I just say in comedy is practically impossible. <laughs> and then yeah. you and then you hit this particular self-destruct button. Well, that's the thing. I didn't realize it was a self-destruct button. Again, I just thought who would disagree with this? Women are being swatted. Women are being sorry, not swatted. That was Gamergate. Women are being uh, women are being targeted. They're losing their livelihoods. You know, one of the first stories I heard about in this fight was um, Vancouver Rape Relief, which had a dead rat nailed to the door because it won't accept men I- into the space because it's just for women only, and it includes trans-identified men in that. They nailed a dead rat to the door, you know. And then there's like like there's other stories that have happened since a- Amy Ham who is a Canadian nurse who put up a poster saying, I love JK Rowling. She's still in a work tribunal three years later, you know, fighting for her job. And so I just thought, well, clearly we have to help these people. And it never occurred to me that people would go, well, actually, no, we're not. We're not, we're not helping. Not only are we not helping these women, we're not helping you. All these colleagues I'd worked with for years. You know, and so I kind of made a bad bet when I was in my, you know, morphine state. I bet on, on you know, loyalty, and uh, and I bet that that my friends, many of whom have daughters, would want to, you know, be in the same fight. And were you? You must have been shocked then when you know you get people who are friends, who are colleagues, some of whom actually got their big breaks for working on things that you'd written. Um, people like Graham Norton coming out later saying, well, there's no, having watched you be cancelled over years, mm. then saying there's no such thing as cancel culture, there's just accountability culture. Yeah. yeah. Because he could just say nothing. Yeah. Mm. He Absolutely. could just say nothing. And that would still, you know, you can have your opinion about it, but that. But to pretend that what's happened hasn't happened and actively say something to the contrary, that is... Yeah, quite something. Yeah, but it, but I've I've found that it is completely standard for this fight. People will do anything to avoid having this conversation, and Graham Norton has just kind of decided that I've just popped out of existence. And the issue is is such a non-issue that he won't even discuss it. He, he, you never hear him saying why women shouldn't have fair sports or or Vancouver rape relief should have a dead rat nail to the door because they know their, their positions are indefensible. So what they do to save their own skin, which is what he's doing, 
is, uh, is you know, they, they genuflect every so often. And one of the things you can genuflect, you know, one of the ways you can genuflect to the, to the mob is by saying there's no such a thing as cancel culture, even when <laughs> your immediate colleague has had his life destroyed by it. You know? We'll be back with Graham in a minute. But first, do you remember the Canadian trucker protest in 2022, where thousands of Canadians came out to protest COVID restrictions and vaccine mandates? Now, these protests lasted for weeks and the people out on the streets needed funds, as any grassroots protest would. So people set up online crowdfunding campaigns, which raised millions of dollars. Incredible. But once the Canadian authorities had started to criticize the crowdfunding platforms, ramping up pressure to close the campaigns, it didn't take long for the biggest crowdfunding platform, the one we've all heard of, to completely capitulate and shut the campaigns down. Now, this is where our partners Give, Send, Go come in. They stepped in when the other platforms backed off and raised millions of dollars for the truckers. When they were criticized and dragged through the Canadian courts, Give, Send, Go said it respected diverse views and believed hope and freedom are values worth fighting for. This is why we're proud to partner with Give, Send, Go. So, if you need to crowdfund for whatever means the most to you, then don't go to the big tech platforms. We recommend you do it on Give, Send, Go. Starting a campaign on Give, Send, Go is easy and intuitive. Go to givesendgo.com today. That's givesendgo.com to start raising money for whatever is important to you. And now back to the interview. And I wanted to come back to the question that Francis was exploring with you, which is, how can I put this? None of us are sure of issues to care about. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair to say. There's modern slavery. There is, uh, I mean, there's wars every every fucking country at the moment. You know, like there's so many things that we could all care about. But you really focused in on this issue as being very important. Mm. Why is this such an important issue to you? Well, again, first of all, I have a daughter and I, I have a mom and a and a. Uh, you know, and I, I, I had an ex, I had a wife, you know, um, I, I thought their, their rights were important. And I, and again, I just find it, I think sometimes I find that conservative spaces still don't realize how key this is. You know, this is like the door that unlocks everything else, crit critical race theory and everything else. If you could, if half the population can dominate the other half and take big slices of the pie that over, a hundred years after the suffragettes, we'd worked out how to create a little bit of, I know it's a dread word, but equity between men and women, right? And suddenly there were a group of men who were suddenly grabbing pieces of this pie. The best example is sports, you know? They have a massive physical advantage. It's not reduced by transitioning. And many, many don't transition. They just say they're transitioning. And they get, you know, why wouldn't you do it? You get like huge cash prizes, but Again, it's like, um, it's so clearly wrong. It's like, it's like you've kind of suddenly given some of the worst people in the world a license to behave abominably, you know? Like, is there anyone lower than someone who would, who would join a woman's sport just to beat it? I don't think so, you know? So, like... Really, Graham? Worse than a murderer, a paedophile, a rapist. Sorry, yeah, you're right, you're right. <laughs> One of my other problems, I used to be a, a, a movie and film critic, and yeah. I, I'm sometimes given to hyperbole. <laughs> There's a rhetorical flourish there. It's a rhetorical flourish. But, like, I do think that it's pretty low. Mm, okay, you know? fair. Um, 
so I just kind of thought, oh, well, everyone will see this. Like, I remember once I, I got into an argument with John Ronson, the journalist. Now, John Ronson, he's someone who should be all over this. He wrote a book called So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Mm-hmm. Great just, book. Yes, justifiably a well-regarded uh, book. He told a story of uh, Justine Sacco, I think her name was, who famously told a, a joke that was deliberately uh, uh, interpreted in, in the worst possible light um, while she was on a plane flight going from somewhere to somewhere. She said, uh, I'm going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS. I, or actually, I won't because I'm white, lol. Yeah, it's yeah. Okay. And by the I'm time white. she landed in Africa, like her life had been exactly. absolutely destroyed. And it was clearly a anti-racist joke. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. about, it was about um, Western uh, comfort. Mm-hmm. And uh, her life was destroyed. And John wrote a very uh, moving interview with her. And I thought, well, John will be all over this because this is the this is the industrialization of those kinds of shaming tactics. Not a bit of it, you know. I showed him a photograph of a huge hulking bloke playing in a in a in a girls' basketball team. All the girls are like in their teens, and he seemed more worried about the bloke's feelings than the, any of the girls. And why do you think that is? Why do you think that this industry? has been captured to such an extent, particularly comedy, Graham, because if you think the greatest comedy, in my opinion, I'm sure it's probably yours as well, are the ones who point out the the things that nobody are talking about, saying the emperor has no clothes, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. A great hulking bloke playing basketball with a load of 14-year-olds. <laughs> I, I mean, that to me seems a pretty ripe, you know, pretty ripe territory for comedy. Yeah, like Eddie, I find it, what I find really funny, I remember once, um, what's his name, Nish Kumar did a, did a list of people who, who were joking about, um, uh, I call them the Smiths, um, what's his name? Uh, I call, oh, his name, Smith. Sam Smith, yeah. I call him the Smiths, because he's, he's they, them pronouns. <laughs> and, um, you know, I would make fun of this because I think it's absurd. Yeah. Uh, and he's an absurd figure, just the same way I made fun of, I remember Sting cut an, an, an incredibly absurd figure uh, when he was famous. <laughs> we used to watch him on TV, and Arthur would always say, watch him take off his shirt. He will find a way, <laughs> you know. But now the idea that this ridiculous man, Sam Smith, who's demanding we all use counterintuitive pronouns for him, is somehow off limits. Nish Kumar did a list, me and Andrew Doyle were in it, and Nigel Farage, I think, was on it. People who, who, who are making fun of Sam Smith, you know. And it's like, what are you talking about? These are the people we make fun of. Like Eddie Izzard is another ridiculous figure, you know. It's like running for running for election in in a pink beret, <laughs> using women's toilets, and just no one's allowed to say this is a little bit wrong. This is not right. He shouldn't be doing it, you know. And no one no one's able to 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 be comic about it, you know. So that was one of the things I tried to do when I was in this. I tried to make people realize we have this YouTube channel called the Mess We're In. Uh, where I talk about these issues with um, a Canadian gay man named Artie Morty and a, uh, a Welsh feminist, uh, Helen Stanland. And they're really smart and they're really funny and we have a great laugh on it. And that was important to me, to break, break the spell, you know? It's like Nish Kumar is saying we can't make fun of, of ridiculous people, you know? And it's, and, and it's true, it's like the whole thing is like a disease in comedy. Like when, when did Trevor Noah ever go viral? I don't think ever. 
when did, when is Nish, what's our, what are Nish Kumar's five best jokes, <laughs> you know? And they're just, it's just, they've, they've changed their role into kind of, I call them regime comedians. They're just mouthpieces for what the mob is currently into, you know? And, but Graham, I agree with all of what you said, but why, why do you think, let's really try and explore the core of this. Why is it that comedy, which is meant to be all of these things we've spoken about, has been taken over by this ideology? What is it about it? Is it the people in the industry? Is it the comedians themselves? What's going on? I think one of the things before you answer, Graham, we should say is it's the British comedy scene. Yeah. This has not been the case in America in anything like the same way. Yes. In America, people have no problem making mm. fun of this issue. Really? Uh, on TV, maybe a different issue, but you go in the comedy, I mean, you go to Rogan's Club, for example, there's no yeah. shortage mm. of people. And, and this isn't just in the last year or so, like there have been lots and lots of people have been able to make jokes about all, all of these issues. Mm -hmm. I think there's something uniquely special about the British industry. Absolutely, but it may not be the reason it was Ca captured. Well, I'm not sure. Maybe you'll be able to tell me whether the 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 makeup is different of of you know American comedians. But I think comedy is middle class, another middle class industry, and it's and it basically this is a a mass delusion that has particularly affected the middle class. You know, you don't you don't often look at comedy as a way to you know break into millions or to to have a career if you're working class. I don't think it comes. The, the thought doesn't come as naturally. But a bunch of middle-class people sitting around, uh, nothing else to worry about except taking the piss out of things with their friends. Of course comedy occurs to them, you know? So they get into comedy and then suddenly, you know, you just got a kind of a, a middle-class ring, I guess. Of, and that, unfortunately, it seems to have only happened recently that there is acceptable and unacceptable subjects, you know? Like the, and even even when you don't cover them, I was I I, I was banned from the Edinburgh Festival. My act, it's just silly jokes. It's just <laughs> like IT crowd jokes or yeah. or t Father Ted jokes. So just very, I think don't think there's anything about the trans issue. Maybe one joke once, but it's like you know, it's it, suddenly there's a there's certain people who no no they're not allowed they're not allowed to be on a stage or in front of an audience or speak to people. No, 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 no. <laughs> you know, like where, do, where did that come from? I think that might be one of the reasons actually, because the one thing that they do have in the US is different scenes in different mm. places. And so you might not be welcome on the, you know, Los Angeles scene if you make those jokes, but right. you can go to Austin, you can go to New York, you can go to different parts of the country. Whereas in the UK, there's one scene Sure. Mm. It's controlled by about three people. Yeah. <laughs> and if those three people happen to think, you know, trans women are women or whatever, and you don't, you, that's sort of you. Yeah. Isn't it? That seems to me a big part of it as well is like, there's one narrative. I mean, Andrew Doyle, who is a mutual friend of ours, of course, mm. uh, always makes this point about Nika Burns in 2018. This is the, the woman who runs the Edinburgh Comedy Festival mm. said, you know, I look forward to the, the woke future of comedy where comedians decide what isn't isn't acceptable. <laughs> and if that's one person and there's three others who happen to you know be TV commissioners and whatever, sort of between the four of them, they can basically set the agenda. Yeah. And then every and then they don't even have to enforce it because everyone else is going to fall in line. Yeah, and also the you know the well, the thing that happened to me is was was you know as a warning for the others, you know. Yeah. It's like it's like you're you the head on a spike. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so, you know, everybody is being frightened out of engaging in this conversation. And one of the things that I've been desperately trying to get across to people for the last five or six years is if we all do it, they can't win, you know? Have you ever heard of the... Oh, God, this, this, may, and this may end up on the cutting room floor. Maybe just keep this for your Patreon people. Um, have you ever heard of a game called Werewolf? No. Werewolf is a party game. We used to play it with all my celebrity mates, you know, mm. about 12 of us around the table. You need a lot of people, mm. you know. Uh, everyone gets a piece of paper. It's either got a villager written on it, mm -hmm. vast majority, but two have the word werewolf mm. written on it. It's divided into day and night phases. Someone runs the game to make sure no one's cheating. And they go, okay, it's nighttime. Everyone close your eyes. Everyone closes their eyes. Then they go, werewolves, open your eyes. The two werewolves open their eyes and they see the other one and they give a little thumbs up to show that they've, they've clocked each other. And then the woman says, werewolves, choose someone to kill during the night. And the werewolves go, that right. They say, okay, everyone close your eyes. It's morning time, open them again. During the night, Francis was killed. Mm -hmm. The game then becomes... Predictable. <laughs> <laughs> you always you, get rid mate, of the badly mate, written character you, first. Mate, you'd be the first to go in yeah. any scenario. That's, yeah, that's exactly. just a fact. Exactly. No, it'd, be the black, it'd be the black character first, then me. Yeah. So, like, there's a, so basically, there's then a conversation, and this is where it gets interesting, mm. during the day phase between all the, uh, all the villagers and the two werewolves over who the werewolves are. Mm. Mm -hmm. And the two werewolves are trying to set, draw, draw attention to other people. Oh, did, I heard a noise from over here. And the other werewolf is like, yeah, I think I did too. And all that sort of thing. Uh, now the game, then at the end of the day, the, the villagers have to decide who they're going to kill. And they say, well, we're going to kill Constantine. Mm -hmm. And um, it's revealed by the person running the game, I'm afraid Constantine was a villager. And the game continues. Mm -hmm. Okay. The villagers win the game if they kill both werewolves. Mm. The werewolves win the game if they kill all but two villagers. Mm. Mm. The game was invented by a student of sociology in Russia who wanted to prove his thesis that an uninformed majority will always lose a battle of information against an informed minority. Wow. Yeah. And the werewolves usually win. Even if you have 12 people around the table, the, the werewolves will usually... I once won by turning in the other werewolf. I mean, you, you are in show business, Graham. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's clever. You yeah. turned on the other werewolf. Yeah, and we won. Wow. So that just shows when you have hidden information, yeah. you can completely manipulate a large group of people. Mm -hmm. That's happening in the NHS. Mm -hmm. It's happening in publishing. It's happening in every middle-class industry because there's always one or two or three people who think they themselves are non-binary, have a kid who's told them they're non-binary, yep. or whatever it happens to be. And those people are controlling the conversation. So when Rachel Rooney, who is a, a you know, uh, who is a children's author, wrote a beautiful book called um, My Body Is Me, a little book for toddlers, like uh, you might call it an anti-dysphoria book, a book to make you comfortable in your own bones for little toddlers. They destroyed her career. They, 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 they called her age. They said she was uh, engaging in conversion therapy. They wrote to... Um, now, now, the people who did this were in the Society of Authors. The Authors Union, who are supposed to stand up for, these, for their members, 
And they destroyed, they destroyed, they helped destroy her career. Because there's a couple of werewolves going, hold on a second, this is a bit transphobic. And then everyone else is too afraid to say, no, it's not. Because then you become the werewolf suspect, etc., etc., etc. Exactly. That's, wow. it, it, it's like... We're not going to leave, we're not going to put that for, that That will be in the interview. Oh, yeah. good. It's good. such a good way of looking at it. And I've always thought... Oh, by the way, just in case people are looking for it and think, there's no good, it was, in, it was actually originally called Mafia. Ah. Yes. Yeah, yeah I've played that game. Yeah. And you're, the werewolves do usually win. Yeah. Um, it's such an interesting point because I've always, my sense of history from what I've read and understood is a small, highly motivated minority willing to, often willing to break the rules. That usually means in the historical context, mm -hmm. use violence. But you, this is a form of violence. It's just not physical. It's destruction in other ways, yeah. right? A small motivated minority willing to play by a different set of rules yeah. will often be able to cower the majority because of the collective action problem, which is what you were talking about. Um, and, and, and it's played out in various mass movements before, you know, uh, from Christianity to, to communism to national socialism. These say, Scientology is the best mm. example where even the people at the bottom level didn't know some of the actual uh, teachings of Scientology. Mm -hmm. They were kept in the dark until the very last moment. Mm -hmm. The best, funniest example mm -hmm. of that is when Paul, I think it was Paul Haggis who wrote Crash, a, a, a not very good Oscar winner, uh, reached the highest level once and he went in for a meeting and they said, well, this is what's going on. Uh, a god called Xenu put mm -hmm. planes inside volcanoes and he just suddenly realized after years <laughs> working for the Scientologists, these people are insane. Mm. Yeah. You know? And uh, I guess there's a similar thing going on here. There's a kind of a, there's a kind of a deliberate, um, uh, forgive me if I run off this, the question. I hope, I hope I'm not. You but, do whatever you want. But there's a deliberate kind of obfuscation around key, key aspects of this um, issue. Like, for instance, what does trans mean? Does it mean transsexual? Right? That's the way I would interpret it, the way I used to. Um, but now it appears to mean transsexual and Eddie Izzard. And Eddie is a crossdresser. So. Hold on, what is a transsexual? A transsexual is someone who's had an operation to cut off their genitals, you know? That's, what, that's how I always uh, thought of it, you know? Like, I don't know, even that definition might be. Well, even that's not satisfactory moment. because it's like. They didn't like wake up one day and went, oh, I feel gender dysphoria. You know, it, it, there's a process that will exactly. take you up to that, and, right? And, and one thing that's happened is I think that there's, there's a definition of gender reassignment in the Equalities Act that says something like um, uh, they have had this uh, procedure or are thinking of having it. So that means everybody is thinking of it. Anybody can be thinking of having it. And it re I realized that like quite early on that the, the this was a, a, a self-selecting group of people who just said, I'm trans. And that could range from Eddie Izzard, right? To someone who has debilitating gender dysphoria, has an obsessive uh, uh, recurring invasive thought that they need to get rid of this to make themselves uh, okay. And, um, and it's like, these two have nothing to do with each other. They have nothing to do with each other. So why are there, so, so it seemed to me that suddenly you've created this informed minority 
who can like there's a very famous um sorry this is probably that, I, please do cut out any of this where i'm rambling but as to the werewolf's point there's a very famous um document called the denton's document have you heard of it no mm -mm. it was a law firm called denton's who who worked pro bono on advice to give trans rights activists and it was literally for this for this reason on on pushing through uh laws or or bills or whatever that would not be popular with the public and there's a, a number of bits of advice given including avoid the media don't get drawn into debates. Uh, target young politicians, you know? Mm. And when you think about some of the people like Nadia Whittem, Whittingham and, Whittem. Uh, yeah. Whittem and uh, Mary Black, who are pushing this stuff, they're all, they're all really young, yeah. you know? Um, and very empathetic and not very yeah. bright. This is yes. the optimum combination. Someone yeah. who really cares, <laughs> but doesn't really understand yeah. the issues very exactly, well. Yeah. Exactly, And... Um, uh, and so the Denton's document laid all this out in very bald terms, you know. And I, as I always say, this, this is the first civil rights movement that has been told to avoid the media. Mm. And when you think of it, <laughs> when have you seen figures who are supposedly on the other side of this issue, right? Like Susie Green or, or the, the um, Nancy Kelly late of Stonewall. When have you seen them on panel, on, not panel shows, on, on news shows discussing this issue? They don't do it. Because the, the, um, the desire is to create a completely suffocating, um, uh, the desire is to completely suffocate the conversation. Yeah. To give it no air whatsoever. And Graham, on that point about werewolves, I think what has been very instructive to that issue is the revelation of how exactly did our civil service become convinced about all of this? How exactly did the police become convinced of all of this? How exactly did other government and sort of quango-like structures become convinced that this ideology is the right way to go? And we now know, don't we? Yeah, yeah. All the tactics that were used in this, uh, in the Denton's document. And you can download it, you can read it yourself, and, and there's some very good pieces about it online. But specifically, I mean mermaids, etc., being heavily involved, this yeah. organization, in essentially teaching them these highly contested ideas, to put it very mildly. Well, here's an interesting thing. Uh, did you know that mermaids used to be a great organization? I didn't know no. that, no. Yeah, mermaids in the old days... Well, like Stonewall. Yeah, exactly. And mermaids in the old days were specifically for children who had dysphoria, you know? Then Susie Green came along. Susie Green had a gay or at least gender non-conforming child who the husband, he, I'm not saying anything out of order here. This was a TED talk that was up for years until it was suddenly taken down without explanation. And she said that her husband didn't like the son playing with girls' toys, mm -hmm. you know? And she's doing it like a TED talk. She's got the thing. She's doing all the hand, you know, the hand gestures you get in TED talks, <laughs> you know. And then it was it, and all the little phrases w which would change my life forever, you know, <laughs> all this stuff. You know? That's so, so good. good. And she's doing it right, <laughs> but there's this huge gap. It's like her husband didn't like him playing with with girls' toys. Suddenly, she goes to Thailand with the kid at sixteen and gets his penis cut off. You know, so. She told him he was trans. She put him on hormones, put him on puberty blockers and hormones. 
In fact, there's a there's a very famous excerpt of a documentary about her where she's laughing because the her 16 year old son's penis wasn't large enough to create the inverted vagina. This is another reason why people don't like to talk about this issue because it's horrible. Um, so this woman went into mermaids where, you know, she's obviously, she'd obviously spent too much time into the night on forums, listening to other people who think they have trans kids and believing everything they say. And she entered into mermaids and she changed the culture at mermaids. Similarly, you know, I, I used to follow, there was a, there was a, so, a social worker, her name's Lisa Muggeret, she's amazing. Um, and she, um, she said, it only takes a few people to groom an organization. So again, and you, you know, and they've even made it a kind of a official part of a business in the diversity and inclusion or EDI. I'm not sure what it's called. In I prefer yeah, D, D. I prefer DI. Yeah. DIE. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> DIE departments, and do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like one of the things that made me realise something was really badly wrong at Hattrick was when I handed in a a, 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 a sitcom called Cancelled, and uh, they gave back sensitivity notes. And I thought the whole sitcom is about, you know, <laughs> the, the, how this is ridiculous. Yeah. She, the, the sensitivity reader said, people might think you're making fun of diversity and inclusion measures. <laughs> <laughs> you and, know? And we, we, so we've touched on Hattrick, which are probably one of the biggest production companies, comedy production companies in the UK. When did it start affecting your career? When did you start noticing colleagues turning against you? <sighs> Well, it didn't really. I, one of the things about cancellation, especially during COVID, mm. was that it was it all just happened silently. You know, you don't really. Still, I don't. There may be some people who just think I'm great and think I'm completely on the right track, but I can't call them to be to face another disappointment. You know, um, and people, you know, uh, yeah, they just didn't announce. Well, Graham Lennon's a non-person now. It just it just kind of happens. The thing I, I the thing I, I the, the, but hold on, they're sitting on your musical now, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, Patrick. So you clearly know that they're not they're not they have the rights to it. They're not going to let you do it. They have half I... the rights, and the other half are owned by me, Arthur, and Neil Hannon. Yeah. and they're sitting on it in what I think is an act of kind of preemptive cultural vandalism, simply because I've stood up for women's rights, you know, and I've stood against the medicalization of children, which I would argue is everyone's, should be everyone's priority. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we have the musical. We had it on its feet. We, we put it on a few times. There were even little dance routines, you know, to try and sell it to, uh, to uh, uh, people who might put money in, all this sort of stuff. And now they're just sitting on it. It should be on. It should, be on. It should have been on for the last two years, you know? The other, day, the other day I had to hide my car in case it's repossessed. That's how how bad I, uh, my money situation is at the moment. You know, I should have a musical on. It should it should be up and running for like three years. But because of this ridiculous and you know homophobic misogynistic movement, it, it was just it was just stolen. And and all Hattrick and my colleagues would have to do would be to say, of course women should have fair sports. Of course, children shouldn't be mutilated and sterilized. Do you know what I mean? Mm. These are not controversial positions to hold, but for some reason, they refuse to do it. And the thing that's also heartbreaking 
yet it says a lot about this case is the musical is a musical of Father Ted. Yeah. One of the most beloved sitcoms of the last 30 odd years, which is still shown, which is still quoted, which the, co the, comedy, the character of Father Dougal is now a staple when people talk about comedy and modern comedy. This would have sold out yeah. immediately. Whoever puts this out is basically printing money. Yeah, and, and, and it's, but it's not being stopped because of the public. It's being stopped because theatres are refusing to put it on and Hattrick and my colleagues are refusing to defend me and say, you know, this is ridiculous and make an issue out of it. Even, even so your colleagues, the people that you wrote this with. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I spoke to some of them afterwards. And again, I mean, it's so weird. This is what I mean when I say when you're at the center of it, it's hard to know what's going on because they didn't seem to understand the issues. You bring them up and it's like this is the first time you've told them about it. And over the years, I, they had seen what had been happening to me. They'd seen me lose opportunities. I've been telling them exactly what the, what the problem was, been getting largely agreement, you know. And suddenly it's seen, again, as a kind of a hobby I have, you know. We're saying, no, they're, 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 they're sterilizing a generation of gay kids. They're telling gay kids that they're actually straight, but they were born in the wrong body and they need drugs and surgery to take care of that problem. That's evil. And I cannot get anyone to stand by my side and say, yeah, you're right, that's evil, you know? We'll be back with Graham in a minute, but first we wanted to tell you about Factor. We've discovered a fantastic way to stay on track with your nutritional goals while saving time. If you're in America and you're looking for dietitian approved, chef prepared, fresh, never frozen meals to fuel you on jam-packed days, then you need to take a look at Factor. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, and they'll help you eat well for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with nutritious and flavorful ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. Leave the calorie counting to their dietitians and leave the planning, prepping, and cleanup to their chefs. While you're out there crushing it, Factor are making sure each meal has the nutrition you need and the flavor you're looking for. Choose from over 35 chef-crafted meals every week that support a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences, whether it's vegan, veggie, protein plus, or wholesome options. There are also calorie-conscious options that don't skimp on flavor. Try delicious dietitian-approved calorie-smart meals that are under 550 calories per serving. The food is fresh and the ingredient quality is on point. For example, the meat is from grass-fed or pasture-raised animals, and is free of antibiotics, hormones, and GMOs. It's high quality stuff, and you just have to run a Google search to see how well Factor comes out in reviews. To try Factor, head to factormeals.com trigger50 and use code trigger50 to get 50% off. That's code trigger50 at factormeals.com to get 50% off. Now, back to the interview. And this, the, the thing that shows, in a way, because how weird this all is, is I remember when I was growing up, corporations, whether it's TV or, we all kind of accepted that they were immoral, the bottom line was the bottom line, and as long as it was gonna make money, then that's fine. But they would rather not make money. Yeah. Lots of money, particularly during a pandemic and coming out of a pandemic where everybody's short of money. Yeah because of this. I wrote it literally thinking that 
it will be a bit like being in a lovely mass, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like one of the things I, you know, like one of the things I feel, even though I'm an atheist, I do feel a little bit of a loss of the fact that we don't have uh, a weekly event where we all go and shake hands with our neighbours, you know? Mm -hmm. And I thought I kind of saw this as this great release from COVID. I was desperate to uh, for it to happen uh, uh, as soon as COVID ended. But, you know, two years of having my reputation destroyed, 75 hit pieces about me in, in Pink News, my Wikipedia vandalised and, and kind of rewritten every time we try and make it, you know, halfway neutral. It just took its toll. And uh, by the time we were ready to go, by the time COVID was over, they just said it wasn't going to happen because, of, because unless I unless I uh, wasn't involved with it, you know. And the thing that really got me was, I said to them, "Look, okay, I'll stay away, but I'd like to come in every so often and see how it's doing, see if it's on the right track." And Jimmy Mulville of Hattrick said, "No, we want a clean break." You know. Again, what have I said that is so terrible to deserve that kind of treatment? You know, uh, you know what? It's so wrong when you talk about it. It's just so it's just wrong. And I think what you are actually being punished for, my sense is you're punished for being first and you're punished for because you had a large voice. Yeah, maybe. That's what I think you're being punished for. Yeah. And, and you're in the wrong industry. If you were yeah. like an oil well rig man or something, no one would give a shit. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like when I came over here, like I never got any um, anti-Irish racism. I got one weird, weird, I think someone called me a paddy in a police station once. I think that was it. <laughs> but then again, I was in a police station. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, but like the rest of the time I've had, you know, everyone's very respectful and, and everything's been going great. But like, I think what I did was in the end was I, I, uh, transgress certain uh, uh, a certain etiquette in that like you know this is a middle class movement it's bored middle class kids who are often the victims of it and you know I was kind of um, breaking an unwritten rule for going against little Jimmy's idea that he's actually a third sex that's never existed before you know do you think part of it as well is that you are a heretic in that you yeah. were you you were firmly part of the liberal establishment. Yeah, I was, and a, then I was you a did. node. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's how I see it. And, and we've all got to be so careful about becoming nodes, about just transferring information that we, because one or two, like what was crazy about, about the trans women or women thing is that all these people who I'd believed for years, mm. including people in the Gamergate fight who I'd been fighting for trying to, you know, defend them from trolling and all this sort of stuff. They believed it. And it, and, and it was like, it, it, it just kind of made me realize, oh my God, what else is bullshit? Do you know what I mean? All these kind of um, things I'd taken for granted, all these reasons that I'd gone in with both feet when I was fighting with someone online and, you know, like, which was never a problem when I was, when I was doing it against the right, but mm -hmm. it, again, do against the left, you're dead. Um, and I was using exactly, I was, I was actually quite polite during the conversation because I knew that any slip would be punished. I knew the way they worked, you know, but it didn't matter. They used to do things like they would, they took a screenshot of a joke I made to my wife where I called her a bitch 
and use that as an example that I was a misogynist. Wow. You know, they faked, uh, they, they fake Mumsnet comments where I admit to sending dick pics to women on Mumsnet. Um, you know, one, one guy, a doctor, did a fake prescription for me, like that I needed mental pills, and put it on a real NHS prescription, you know. So, you know, it was just like a, sorry, just remind me how we got into this. Because sometimes these these things these things there's so many stories to this with piles piles they pile up and I lose my train of thought. So we were talking about heretics. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, but like it was kind of um, I think one of the re reasons why I was landed on with with hobnail boots, so to speak, was because like J.K. Rowling, uh, I was very very left wing. I was extreme. I, I ticked all the boxes, you know, Israel, tick, everything, you know. Um, and then, you know, J.K. Rowling did the same thing. And similar to me as well, J.K. Ro Rowling, again, impeccable credentials as a lefty, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but, but more than that as well, we had both created things that they liked. Yeah. And they knew that if our voices carried, they'd be in trouble. So that's why, you know, they do things like, you know, they take J.K. Rowling's name off school buildings and stuff like this. It's just, it's designed to make everyone think there's something wrong with this person. There's something badly wrong. Amy, as I say, Amy Hamm, three years in a work tribunal because she put up a poster saying, I love J.K. Rowling. So, so again, J.K. Rowling created Harry Potter, which kind of, you know, has had three generations reading ever since. You know what I mean? Like at a time when computer games should be completely obliterating that activity. For young people and she just saved like you know saved publishing really mm -hmm. um but all these kids who grew up with her at the same time were also being influenced by lunatics on tumblr and reddit who believed a series of completely incoherent things that you know actually kind of appropriately enough are a form of magic you know <laughs> you could change sex you know you can escape the the you can escape your biology you know, and these things are, are like, unlike the magic spells in Harry Potter, these are really dangerous things to tell kids, you know. So, uh, so yeah, we had to be destroyed and, and conclusively, you know. It's a sad story, man. It's a, and, you know, I haven't really heard you tell it quite to that level before. And mm -hmm. I, I'm really sorry that this is the way it's been. It must be very difficult. It must be very difficult. I will say, though, from... An outside perspective, probably hard for you to see it like this, as you said at the beginning. I actually do think we're making progress on this issue. And uh, I think the more time goes by, the more vindicated you'll find yourself. So hang in there, uh, because I do think there's a lot. Uh, there's many other things about which I'm not optimistic at all. But on this one, I think, certainly in this country, we're actually making progress. And I think that's partly down to you. I know that... Yeah. So many of our female fans in particular, uh, as we call them, the angry lesbian brigade. <laughs> um, My people. Your, your people. They all uh, look a bit like me. They do. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, well, mate, don't laugh at it that much. Like, but, well, so I was going to say like both of you, but you know. <laughs> but the women are annoyed as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but so many of them are really grateful, uh, you, you know, that there was a man actually mm -hmm. who, who was... Not some, you know, I mean, you are a right-wing evil bigot now, but mm. you weren't at the time, uh, who was prepared to actually say something. 
So I know it's really tough right now. Um, but, you know, your book has done well. It's getting great reviews from people who are being objective about it. Uh, and I really think that this is, um, you'll look back on this moment actually with pride. Yeah. I really do. Oh, I, I already do. Good. I already do. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I was kind of asked a question that people are asked every so often in history. And I kind of answered it correctly. You know? Absolutely. And Graham, there's also something that I want to say to you, which is they may be able to do all these things to you. They may be able to stop your work being published for the moment, but times will change. But why do you hate trans people? <laughs> <laughs> but they will never take away your talent. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. You are a generational talent, Graham. Oh, mate. Oh, you I are. really appreciate it. Thank you. You inspired me. I'm starting to tear up now. To want to be a comedian and want to be... Really? Yeah. Fucking hell, man. Father Ted. Guilty. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. There's about 12 people who've seen my gigs in total who are very angry at you. But you, with what you did with your work, it was sensational. And you don't lose that brilliance overnight and through what you've been through. And eventually when you come out of this, because just as sure as, the, as night happens, dawn will come. When the dawn will come, what you produce after everything that you've been through will be so beautiful and brilliant, and I can't wait to see it. Oh, mate, that means a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Is that, but it feels like the ending, though. Is that the ending? It sort of has to be now. <laughs> yeah. It sort of feels like after that, anything yeah. we ask is going to be weird. Yeah. But as you know, I mean, we do ask, before we go to questions from our supporters, mm -hmm. and a lot of people have asked questions, we do tend to ask uh, our final question, which is what's the one thing we're not talking about that we should be? Uh, and, and, you know, you might have thoughts on it, you might not. No, I, I can, I can yeah. whistle something up. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. There you go. Oh, is that, do you want, are you asking yeah, yeah, that? Yeah. Oh, I see, sorry. This is actually <laughs> like a conversation. That's actually yeah. the question, right, yeah, yeah. right, excuse me. Well, shit, the thing that just jumped, jumped into my head is Eric Hoffer's True Believer. I think everyone should be reading it. It is a history of uh, mass movements, mass kind of delusions sometimes. Um, and he wrote it in 1953. He was like some working class guy who taught himself how to think in various different uh, uh, libraries and wrote this theory of what connected mass movements, everything from National Socialism to, to Christianity. Actually, did we talk about this earlier? No. No. Oh, good. Okay. Um, He's the guy that said every great cause begins as a movement, becomes a business, yes. and eventually degenerates into a racket. Yeah. <laughs> did he say that? That's yeah. interesting. Because, but well, basically, he wrote it in 1953, and it could have been written yesterday about this particular movement. It is, it is, it just, it, it, this movement ticks all the boxes of one of these kinds of moments in history. You know, it needs a, it's usually a pretty comfortable people who, who, who run these kinds of movements. Uh, it's, there has to be a sort of nihilism abroad. That means it attracts people who've given up hope on other things. Uh, it's a very nihilistic moment at the moment. Everyone thinks the world's going to end in a couple of months and so on. Um, and I think all these things uh, have come together in real life, the way he wrote about them. And like I was just driving, uh, like I was uh, on the tube train up here. And again, I just you can't highlight it because you just end up highlighting every The whole book is yellow, you know, because everything just strikes you as... Um, like there's a whole section in it where he talks about, you know, how faith in a doctrine like gender ideology 
or like national socialism or like communism is so uh, is so kind of uh, complete that you can't really have conversations with people about it. They'll cover up their ears mm. before they listen because you're questioning the, the doctrine. You're questioning the, the true faith that will lead everyone into a better world. And there's actually kind of, you know, at, at the heart of gender ideology, there is, there is a, 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 a kind of a, a kind of a reach for something mm. good, which is the idea that if we change our language, then the reality of sexism will change. Mm -hmm. And it's just not true. Yeah. All, all that happens is that you create kind of <laughs> a, a, a kind of a super, uh, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, oh God, you know, when you're a super privileged form yeah. of male, right? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. the, the sacred class, I sometimes call, you know? And uh, that's what's happening. The opposite to what they set out to do. It hasn't, it hasn't destroyed sexism. It has created, as someone puts it, the patriarchy in stilettos, you know? And that's what this is. And, and uh, yeah, his book will, I think reading that book will, will everybody reading it will just have a light bulb moment, you know? Graham Linhan. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Follow us over to Locals, but before you do, make sure you get yourself a copy of Tough Crowd and uh, head over to Locals where we ask Graham your questions. Uh, with both Labour and the Conservatives being so shy, does Graham think a third party might stand a chance? And if so, who?